0: Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God called into account those who were sinful, who would be able to stand on that day of reckoning? Verse 4 says, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. Isn't that interesting? No question the Bible says there should be a fear of God because of His wrath. And certainly we see that in the book of Revelation. But there is a fear of God that comes... Because of forgiveness. We know that if God counts our sin against us, we cannot stand. And yet with God, there is forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, we should feel in awe of God. That He would forgive us. We should be moved to worship that He would forgive us. And the psalmist continues and he says, I will wait on the Lord. My soul waits on God. In his word do I hope. My soul waits for him. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the night watchman expects the sun to rise. The moment he sees that sun coming up over the horizon, he knows his shift is over. He is waiting for the morning. Yes, more than the watchman waits for the morning. I wait for you, Lord. In Revelation chapter 6, we are reminded of God's coming judgment. We have seen the six seals of God's judgment undone. And the judgment of God beginning to pour out on the earth. And at the end of chapter 6, we hear the question... It echoes back to Psalm 130. Who is able to stand? And we need the answer. And the answer is found in chapter 7. It begins with a flashback to a time where God's judgment is being held back. The four winds of the earth being held back by four angels and a fifth angel comes and has the seal of the living God and those winds are to be held back until everyone is sealed who is to be sealed with the seal of the living God. The picture is that God is holding back His judgment so people can trust in Christ and by trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior receive the seal of the living God who is able to stand on God's great day of judgment. It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have been sealed with the seal of the living God, protected from the day of God's wrath. That's who can stand. That's the day in which we live, where God is holding back His judgment. So that those who have been sealed may live in this world proclaiming the gospel to those who have yet come to know Christ so that they might trust in Christ and receive the seal of the living God and be protected from the coming wrath of God. That's the day in which we live. Who is able to stand on that great day those who have been sealed with the seal of the living God. Today we flash forward to a vision After the great day of God's judgment. And I want you to read with me in Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great, multitude which cannot be numbered finds its first indicator that this day is coming way back in genesis chapter 32 where abraham is promised that he will be a father over a multitude so great that it cannot be counted and that promise given to abraham back in the old testament finds its fulfillment explained and talked about in galatians chapter 3 where it says that those who place their faith in Christ are actually descendants of Abraham, heirs according to promise. What does that mean? Well, Abraham experienced the promise of righteousness on the basis of his faith in God. And that righteousness that he was granted through his faith in God was the seed of a promise that was fulfilled in Christ. That everyone who places their faith in Christ would receive the righteousness of God on the basis of that faith and forgiveness of all their sins. So that everyone who places their faith in Christ is a descendant of Abraham by way of promise. Who is this great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb? This great multitude from every people, every tribe, every tongue are the people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are heirs of a promise, the promise of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ alone. That's why they're clothed in white. They have white robes on indicating their righteousness that has been received. They have been adorned in righteousness that is not their own. They've been adorned in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Everyone who is able to stand in the throne room of God after the great day of judgment will have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ through their faith in Christ. They'll be holding palm branches in their hands and waving them in celebration of their great deliverance By their awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. There's nothing in Revelation that gives us any indication what the world palm branches are for. But we can look back at Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 23, there is a celebration that the people of God are encouraged to take part in every year. They're celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt. And God told his people, I want you to set up these temporary tents for this festival day, to celebrate that you at one point had to create temporary dwelling places as you left Egypt, going through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. I want you to celebrate that I delivered you. And so one of the things they were supposed to do on day one of the festival was to take palm branches and wave them in celebration. And here we see the the great moment after God's day of wrath where everyone who's trusted in Christ is gathered before the throne and we see them shaking and waving palm branches. Certainly in celebration of their freedom. Their freedom from sin. Their freedom from death. And their freedom from the wrath of God. They have been saved. They stand before God and they exclaim the reason for their salvation. They say salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to you God. They're saying to God this was your work. This is your activity. This is your purpose. Salvation came from your heart and you displayed it towards us. What they're affirming is that salvation does not belong to me. Salvation belongs to you and you gave it to me. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. If you should have counted my iniquities against me, I certainly could not have stood before you. But you forgive i waited on you and i found in you a gift of salvation and salvation belongs to you thank you for giving it to me i've been amazed through the years as i have engaged with people about the concept of salvation being a christian going to heaven being forgiven of your sins all of those kinds of words and labels we use to talk about what we've experienced in Christ. And as I've asked people through the years, hey, are you a Christian or are you saved or are you going to go to heaven when you die? It's been pretty incredible some of the answers that I've heard over the years. It's always amazed me when I ask somebody, how do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? The answers that I often get. You know, essentially what I'm asking them is, how do you know that you are saved from the wrath of God? And I get answers like this: Well, I know that when I die, or at least I hope, when I die, I'll go to heaven, because I've really not been that bad of a person. I've I've not killed anybody. I've been faithful to my spouse tried to treat my kids decent worked hard I've not been that bad of a person you ever heard that from anybody I've heard well God is a loving God and because I haven't been that bad I'm sure that I'm gonna be okay I've heard I was raised in church all my life I've been in the church since before I was born I mean I have been serious about going to church. I was even baptized as a kid. And so I'm sure that because of all that, I'm going to heaven. Anybody heard that one? My parents were Christians. And I was raised in a Christian home. I've heard that one. I've heard a lot of different stories about why someone believes they're going to heaven. But here's the thing. Salvation belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us to define and determine. We didn't make this up. We don't get to write the script on how salvation occurs. It belongs to God. He is the one that determines what it means, how you get saved, what salvation really is. And what he has said matters more than what we think about salvation. And so here's the thing. If if you're asked the question, how will you be saved from the wrath of God? How do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? You better have an answer that resonates, that lines up with what God says, because salvation belongs to Him. And what He says about it matters more than what we think about it. It belongs to Him. Sometimes I wonder if we're not a little confused over the word survive and the word saved. You know, if you're stranded on a a deserted island sometime in the future, if that happens to you, you have one option in that moment I've got to try to use the resources available to me to prolong my life I've got to use the resources available to me to figure out a way off this island and if you use the resources available to you to prolong your life such that you use the resources available to you to get off of that island, we would never say anything about you other than the fact you survived. But if you're stuck on that island and the resources available, you cannot prolong your life and cannot provide a way off that island. And somebody shows up with a boat and gets you off that island, we would never say of you that you survived. We would say of you that you were saved. Because you could do nothing to prolong your life. You could do nothing to get off that island. You had to be rescued. If, If when I leave today, I'm in a car wreck. And the car wreck is so severe that I am trapped in my vehicle. And the car wreck is so severe that the gas tank has been smashed and fuel is flowing out of that car. And I literally have minutes before my vehicle explodes into flames. If that happens to me, I promise you one thing. I'll be doing everything I can to get out of that vehicle and survive. Because I know death is coming. Right? But here's the thing. I can't get out. No matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, I will not be able to survive because I can't get out of the vehicle. But if somebody shows up with the jaws of life and they cut me out of that vehicle and I crawl out of there because they have opened the door, I will say I was saved. I will say thank you for saving me. I will not get out of that car and say, man, I'm so glad I survived. I will say, I'm so thankful I was saved. When it comes to the salvation that belongs to God, there is nothing about it that's surviving the wrath of God. We cannot stand under the wrath of God. It cannot be survived. Nobody can do anything to survive the wrath of God. We have to be saved from the wrath of God. And God has defined exactly how we can be saved from His wrath. And it is exclusively and only through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. When God talks about salvation, He's talking about being saved. There is no work you can accomplish. There is no merit which you have earned which will enable you to survive God's coming wrath. You must simply place your faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Have you been living your life like you believe you will survive that day? Because you're a part of a church? Because of something about your parents? Because of what you think about what you've done compared to somebody else who's just as much a sinner as you are? Or have you come to the place today where you realize the salvation that belongs to God, that he has made available to you, comes by way of faith in Christ alone. Are you trusting in Christ for salvation? How will I know that I will be saved from the wrath of God? Jesus and Jesus alone. The Lamb of God who was slain for our sins, who was risen from the dead. So that anyone who places their faith in him will be forgiven, free, saved. This salvation is absolutely phenomenal. Look here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. And the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 4 of Revelation, chapter 5 of Revelation are scenes in the throne room of God. And here we have another one. And you know what's unique about this one? This one points out specifically that every angel is looking on this moment. Back over in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. The Old Testament prophets were looking for a Savior. They were actively seeking for the Messiah. Look what it says here seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They knew a Savior was coming and they were looking for him, that it was revealed to those prophets in the Old Testament that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You have seen the declaration of Christ. The very thing the Old Testament prophets were longing for, you've experienced. Because someone preached the gospel to you and you heard about Jesus and you trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. That thing that the Old Testament prophets were looking for in Christ, guess what you experienced and look how it ends. These are the things into which angels long to look. The salvation that you have experienced through faith in Christ is the very thing that angels long to understand. They will never experience redemption. They will never know the love of God like this that takes one who should, by all accounts, be accountable for their sin, but have instead been forgiven because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for them. This is the salvation into which every angel longs to look. And in this vision and revelation, on this great day of worship before the throne of God and the Lamb, this moment of complete and final redemption, every single angel is looking on to this moment, the the moment, all of history they've been waiting for, and they see redemption, all of us standing before the throne of God, our sins not counted against us, worshiping God who has given us His salvation simply on account of Jesus Christ and all He's done and our faith in Him. And in that moment, All angels who have longed to see this occurrence fall down before God and worship. Just worship. This is the moment. This is everything we've been looking for. And then they say, Amen. It's interesting, they begin what they're going to say with what is typically the ending of what they say. But this time, they begin with amen, then they have some stuff in the middle, and then they end with amen. It's as if they're saying, hey, pay attention to what I'm fixing to say because what I'm fixing to say is the most true thing that can ever be said. There will nothing be said like this before or after that will be more true than this statement. Amen. Blessings, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the double amen. And they say blessings be to God. He's worthy of all blessings and yet in His worth for all blessings He chose to bless us. glory all glory belongs to him and yet he planned to share a little piece of his glory by saving us all wisdom belongs to God and yet he made us wise unto salvation All honor belongs to God, and yet God invited us into the honor of standing before Him and His throne and worshiping because we have received the salvation which is from Him. Power and might are His and His alone, and yet He used His power and might to save us from His wrath. Thanksgiving, be to the Lord. We should be overflowing with thanksgiving today if we have been saved from His wrath. And yet don't miss the fact that from the beginning of Scripture in the Old Testament all the way through the New, we are given indication that God is actually rejoicing over those who have found salvation through faith in Christ. All thanksgiving belongs to Him and yet He rejoices over us. There is nothing like this salvation. Nothing. And so at the end of Revelation, we will hear the Spirit of God and the church say, Come. Everyone who is thirsty, come. Everyone who wants to partake of living waters, come. Jesus stood up when he was in Jerusalem on this festival. The same one that we saw in Leviticus chapter 23. He stood up in Jerusalem during that festival and people were building the temporary shelters to celebrate the deliverance of God. And Jesus said to everyone there, Hey, I want you to know, if you're thirsty, come. Come to me and I will make you overflow with living water. You have two options today in light of this message. You can come to the fountain of living waters and be saved, find forgiveness, and know that you will be able to stand on God's great day of wrath. That's one option. Come to the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah chapter 2 talks about God being the fountain of living waters, offering people to come and find their satisfaction in Him to be filled up to overflowing. Jeremiah 2 also talks about a people who refused to come to the fountain of living waters. Instead went to other waters of this world. And they took containers that they had built to catch up the waters of this world because they wanted to fill their souls. Something meaningful. No matter how well they fashioned their containers, no matter how good those waters looked, when they dipped those containers in the water, they found that those containers had holes in them and they came up empty. You can come to the fountain of living waters and find you are free, you are full, and you are overflowing. Or you can turn away from Jesus Christ and go your own way and fashion all the containers. You can fashion go after every water of life the world is offering, only to find out you will have come up empty. Because salvation only belongs to God. And He offers it to you today, exclusively through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Hoping that today, God, by His grace and by the work of His Spirit, will renew in you an awe of your salvation. That you would go home today and you would say, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, I would not stand, but in you there is forgiveness. I am waiting on you. I'm praying that you would be renewed and awakened. To the significance of your salvation. So that everything in your life would be determined and moved by the gospel. So that you would encounter decisions and be informed by the gospel. you would encounter challenges and difficulties. And be informed to your response to that difficulty by the gospel. That everything that God has done in saving you would inform everything you think and every way you act. That today would remind you what it means to be saved. And that God leveraged all of who He is for your sake, that you might become the righteousness of Christ simply by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if that happens today in our hearts, I pray that you would not think for one second that being awakened to the significance of your salvation in this moment will last Until next Sunday. Because it won't. You you know when Moses went up on the mountain. To receive the ten commandments. He spent time with God. And he came down from the mountain. And his face shone with the glory of God. And freaked people out. And so what he did. Is he put on a veil. To cover the shining face. So he could interact with the people. And then he noticed that the shining. Reflection of being in the presence of God. Began to fade. When he would go into the tent of meeting, that tent that God set aside for Moses to meet with God and talk to him as one man talks to another. In that tent of meeting, we would go in and speak with God, he'd remove the veil and his face would begin to shine again because he was in the presence of God. Then he would come out, his face would be shining, and then he put the veil back on so the fading of that glory would not be seen and people would not conclude, maybe God's not with us. He had to keep going back to the tent of meeting for his face to be shining. So the people would be orienting themselves to the presence of God. You cannot afford to go six days after today with no fresh orientation to the wonder of salvation. You need to revisit the glory of your salvation every day by seeking the face of God. So that all you do and all you are is driven by the gospel, do you realize that the angels, everything they're doing is aiming towards seeing that great day. Through Jesus Christ, we are guaranteed that day. And we ought to be pursuing Christ every single day so that promise drives us to live as though Who have been saved with the salvation of God.